um, Jamie asked me to preach. Um, I was at the time listening to um, a track by uh, a guy called Torrin Wells called Close. And it was talking about the way that God whispered to Elijah. And uh, it really gripped me. And um, that week when I was cycling to work, I was kind of like trying to really listen to the whisper of God all week. And um, actually, it was really difficult. And I, I, I didn't really hear God whispering. And I just thought, oh, golly. So I thought, OK, I'm going to look at El Elijah instead. And, and actually, what I discovered was that God, you know, when you look in the Bible, there aren't actually many references to God whispering. Uh, he's actually much more straightforward than that. And um, looking at Elijah uh, just really spoke to me about how much God does. He just doesn't make things difficult for us to hear him or approach him. And actually, he makes all the effort. And I just wanted to share a couple of things that I that really spoke to me, uh, which are exactly opposite to me desperately trying to hear God whis God's whisper. Uh, the first um, one was say particularly it's in Kings uh, 1 Kings 17 and 18 where Elijah's there. Um, Kings 17, he, um, he, we just see him. We don't know anything about his parents or anything. He, he sort of arrives and there's a drought and God sends Elijah to the Kerith ravine uh, and he is to drink from the brook and he's to be fed from ravens. I don't know why he's fed by ravens. I think that's a bit of a God's sense of humor. I mean, he could have had it dropped down from heaven. Um, it could have been brought on a donkey by a chap. It could have just been miraculously appeared, but no, it gets, he gets fed by ravens who, by the way, eat dead stuff. So yeah, not an ideal carriage for food. But anyway, Elijah doesn't get food poisoning. He gets fed by these ravens, but the brook does dry up. So God says to him that he's to go to a place called Zarephath and um, he's going to be given food by a widow. And apparently God says he's instructed this widow. Um, and in Zarephath, it's north of Israel. So there's, that's not where people know and worship God. And I was thinking, well, it's interesting how God instructed this widow, because when Elijah meets her, um, she's happy to give him water but she's not happy to share her flour and her oil. She says to Elijah, well, I've only got enough for one loaf for me and my son, and then we're gonna die. So I just thought, oh, yeah, it's interesting. We don't know whether there was like a, an audible voice for her or whether it was in a conviction or a dream, but whatever it was, it wasn't immediately obvious. Uh, she didn't seem to immediately respond. But Elijah says, well, okay, if you share this bread and oil, then God won't ever let it run down, run out again. And so, um, so she does. So maybe there was something about Elijah that she recognized and it, it suddenly twigged with her that God had said something, we don't know. But it's, God is true to his word and actually that oil and that flower doesn't run out. And it says in the Bible, sometime later, and we don't know what sometime later means. I'm thinking it must be weeks or months Again, um, it's just my guessing, the Bible's silent on it, but it can't just be days, can it? Sometime later. Anyway, sometime later, um, the widow's son becomes ill and actually he dies. And the widow blames Elijah and herself, which is sort of a typical response, isn't it, to suffering, to blame other people and then to blame ourselves. It says in verse 18, she said to Elijah, 
What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my son, my sin, and kill my son? But Elijah takes the boy and he stretches himself over the boy's body three times and the boy's healed. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And that really struck me. She says, now I know that you are, uh, you know, that the word of God is true. And I just thought, what do you mean now? You've just been fed for weeks and months with flour and oil. And you're saying now, I mean, none of your neighbours or anybody around you has this provision. Presumably they're all starving. And, and yet she's saying now, and, and God really spoke to me just thinking, how many times do we forget the times that God uh, does stuff for us? And we just sort of forget it, don't we, in the really, really tough times. And we take on board the lie that God uh, doesn't care, or he's malicious, he's deliberately punishing us. And, you know, I just thought as well, you know, when she shows that lack of unbelief, you know, at that point, probably that her son is getting ill and she's really fearful. God just doesn't, doesn't go off in a huff saying, we well, I've provided food for you for absolutely ages and now you're questioning me. No, he just pours on more love, doesn't he? And he heals her son. And then I was struck by the time that, uh, really just the next chapter, when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he decides, he calls for the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher Asherah to meet him and he plans to show the people God's power to show that he's true in comparison to these uh, pagan gods and it says in verse 21 of chapter 18 Elijah went before the people and said how long will you waver between two opinions if the Lord is God follow him but if Baal is God follow him but the people said nothing and I just thought oh no <laughs> you know again how many years, how many decades, how many generations had God showed himself faithful and the people said nothing? You know, God is prepared to put himself in a competition, like a beauty competition or power competition. And, you know, they're saying nothing. And, you know, God could have struck them down. I would have been. I would have been really ticked off at them, just, you know, just being so apathetic. But he isn't. He lets himself have to be in this competition uh why you know he, he doesn't have to do that does he he's god but he does it because he loves us um we've been having little zoom meetings with junior church and we've been looking at the parables and it reminded me of the farmer and his sheep you know he leaves the 99 behind to go after the one and then there's the prodigal the, the, the parable of the prodigal son where the father lets the son go and spend his whole inheritance squander it and he still looks out for him, doesn't he? That's what God is like, that he is pursuing us and running after us. Isn't he like that song that Rochelle was uh, singing earlier about God running after us with his love? And these two stories, you know, the one about the widow and the one about the Israelites on Mount Carmel, got me thinking, you know, about the Bible being like a love story of how God reaches out to us all the time. I mean, it culminates with Jesus dying on the cross. Um, you know, so that our sins will be completely forgiven, so that we get to go to heaven, so that we get to have a day-to-day -day relationship with this amazing God of ours, and we can have this friendship. And our response just has to be faith. That's all we have to do. And it's such a small thing to ask, 
And yet I look at myself and I'm convicted by, you know, the widow and the Israelites and so many other people whose faith is so small and so puny sometimes. And yet, praise God, he is huge, isn't he? He fills the gap of our poor faith. And I just wanted to bring a couple of verses to you about faith, which I know that you know, but they're still really brilliant because they encourage us. Things about faith. It's a gift from God. Jamie said loads of times, but I still need to hear it, that it is not something that we can work up. If you're the sort of person like me who, in response to something, works harder, plans harder, tries to do things for longer, it's, it's no good because it is a gift from God. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 8, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace is the undeserved favour from God. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, that's what Liam was talking about, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, his undeserved favour, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, his undeserved favour, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. It's not from ourselves, it's a gift from God. So we can't work it up, doesn't matter how hard we try. And also you don't need a lot of faith. As shown by the widow, as shown by the Israelites on Mount Carmel, and even more importantly, Jesus said it in Luke 17 verse 6, that faith as small as a mustard seed, which is teeny-weeny, can move mountains. So we don't need much faith. And also what is wonderful is that God has compassion on our unbelief and it's like he stands in the gap. Chapter 9 of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, tells us a story about a boy who had convulsions and his father wanted him to be healed. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for, him, for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Again, God doesn't say, hang on a minute, I'm offering to heal you. All you've got to do is show a bit of faith. He doesn't say, sorry guys, you've got a D minus, fail, I'm off. No, he, he, he doesn't mind this guy's lack of belief. He pours out his love and he heals the boy. God isn't hindered by our passivity. He does tell the church off um, in Revelations chapter 3 in Laodicea about being lukewarm. But our lukewarm faith or our small faith never stops what God wants to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. God is completely faithful. He can't be anything else. And he can stand in that gap for us sometimes when we are faithless. So to go back to my starting point, God doesn't whisper very often because it's too hard. You know, he knows that we are weak. He does the contrary. He does everything in his power to reach us, to save us and to heal us. And we have the whole of the Bible as an encouragement. But more than the Bible, there's no greater demonstration of God's love than the fact that his son died for us. Uh, and, you know, he comes after us every time. doesn't matter if we have no faith, if we have little faith, if we are passive or weak. Every time God meets our needs, shows his love and heals us. 
And you know, with that great example, doesn't that make us want to talk to him more? Doesn't that make us want to, you know, again, Fiona said a couple of weeks ago, when we pray and it looks like our prayers are being, aren't being answered, doesn't it make us want to persevere? Because God is for us and not against us. He runs after us with his great love to heal us. And doesn't it make us want to worship him even more? I hope that's been encouragement, guys.